Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. the 167th edition of the Illegal Motion College Football Podcast. In Nashville, Tennessee, I'm the professor, Matt Perkins. And a tunnel screen across the Harpeth River from me here in the Music City, it's our own offensive coordinator, the coach, Corey Burton. Well, guys, it's a uh, it's always a great day when you can be on the podcast here, the world's greatest college football podcast, if you ask me. Um, also wanted to shout out, um, for the third week in a row, we've got a player nominated for TennesseeHighSchoolSports.com. Davidson County Player of the Week. It'll probably take longer to say the title than it does to vote. So um, just log on there and vote for Miller Baker. He had nine catches for 165 yards and two touchdowns in a, well, it was a crushing loss to uh, Pope John Paul II, but um, Miller stood out and they couldn't guard him at all. Yeah, he's a start head on your team there. You got so, it. Uh, finally, though, uh, a man who likes tight ends for sure, <laughs> Ego in the Second City, a man who was also astounded to see Iowa line up in something other than the I formation this weekend. It's our intrepid blogger from Big Ten Accounting, Josh Cook. Can't talk about a tight end getting a direct snap, but uh, just wanted to say we would be remiss. I know we're remiss if we don't mention me, but we would be remiss if we didn't mention the passing of the great, the legend, John Gagliardi, the head football coach at St. John's, Minnesota, the D3 powerhouse. Coach, they're 53 to 2012. Why do I bring him up? Well, he's the all-time winningest football coach in the sport we love so much. Uh, he won 27 conference titles. The first one was in 53. The last one was in 09. Uh, he won several D3 national titles. Uh, he was inducted in the Hall of Fame in 2006, which means he's one of the few people to continue coaching while already inducted into the Hall of Fame, uh, lived an incredible life, 91 years young. Uh, just mad, mad respect for this incredible, incredible football coach. 489, 138, and 11, you guys. Wow, that is that is an unbelievable career, and he will be missed, uh, not just up in Minnesota, but in everywhere college football is prominent. So, guys, we, uh, we thought it was going to be kind of a boring weekend. ended up being kind of a wild one. So uh, we will get into everything here in a minute. Uh, we will start uh, with a quick recap of our spread formations this past weekend, our picks against the spread. A uh, good weekend for me. I went 4-1-1. Uh, you guys, Josh, you were okay, 3-2-1. Coach, uh, I'm not sure if we should be following your advice to the bank this, this year. Uh, you, no, no, you shouldn't. You went 1-4-1. Um, if you follow it to the bank, you'll be giving the bank money. Not <laughs> so uh, North Carolina State and BC, North Carolina State was a five-point favorite, and they pushed. So we all got we all got the split there. We were all on the wrong side. Uh, we all picked Syracuse at Pitt. Uh, Josh, you and I are both correct, picking Utah, getting points at Stanford. I was also on the right side of Air Force at home to Navy. That ended up being a blowout. Uh, we all correctly pick Illinois slaughtering Rutgers and Josh, you and I were also right on those Jayhawks covering that big spread at West Virginia. I mean, forget covering that spread. There was a moment there in the second half where I was like, Holy crap, they might come back and tie this game. Mm -hmm. Some good things, uh, you know, in, in very small doses at Kansas. So, well, with that, let's get to our quick slants, Josh, I'm going to throw it out to you first. Yeah, I had uh Two positives, one sad thing that caught my attention from this weekend. The two positives, Cincinnati Bearcats, they run their record to 6-0. and They got a little bit of trestle ball going thanks to Luke Fickle. 14th best rushing tech in the defense, a salty third-ranked points against, allowing fewer than two touchdowns per game. They are now nationally ranked. That's big for Central Florida's hopes. But, hey, Cincinnati might also win that division. Who knows? Uh, the other positive, Hawaii, they got to 6-1, and one, a gritty win against Wyoming as their starting quarterback, Cole McDonald, is nursing a uh, 
unknown injury of some kind, although the coach says that it's a short-term thing and he'll be back pretty soon. But that Josh, was a- I interject there really quick because yeah. did you see what they did uh, for Cole McDonald uh, in the pregame? No. They, someone else on the team dressed up in his jersey and warmed up. <laughs> That's amazing. <laughs> hey, man, like – it's Hawaii. They got to sometimes pull out all the stops. They're not necessarily getting the uh, prized Texas and Florida recruits. Uh, and then the, the negative thing, oh, heartbreak for Eastern Michigan. Uh, they have lost four straight games. They lost by a touchdown to Buffalo. Overtime, San Diego State. Triple overtime, Northern Illinois. And by a field goal, to Western Michigan. This is on top of last year where they had a six-game slide where there was a double overtime game, a four-point loss, a five-point loss, a one-point loss, an overtime game, and an overtime game. Eastern Michigan, I am just – I'm rooting for them every week. I I don't know how this coaching staff and these players are psychologically handling just – such heartbreak week in, week out. Let's go Eastern Michigan Eagles. You can still get bowl eligible. Let's get a huge win at home against Toledo on the 13th. Oh, right. Yeah, it's been, you know, those guys have to be really resilient in order to, you know, keep going back to practice and for those games week after week after losing in such heartbreaking fashion every time. All right. Well, Coach, uh, I know there are a couple good undercards in the SEC East this weekend. How'd your dogs look? Uh, they look pretty good. Um, they started again. They started kind of slow. Uh, they let. They actually gave up their longest run from scrimmage on the season to Keyshawn Vaughn. They gave up a forty-five yard scamper that set up a uh, a field goal for uh, the Commodores. But uh, not much going for the Commodores after that. Um, they they uh, had an impressive feat of not allowing a touchdown pass to either Drew Locke or um, Kyle Shermer in consecutive weeks. So. That was kind of cool. But, um, you know, Jake Fromm was extremely efficient throwing for 275 yards through the air. Um, So that was good to see. Elijah Holyfield, DeAndre Swift, just – I know, Matt, you and I were texting back and forth. Man, just absolutely impressive. Um, And Terry Godwin gets in in the mix, two catches, 95 yards, and a touchdown. Also taking place in the east was Missouri-South Carolina in the pouring down driving rain. Uh, Michael Skarnecchia gets his first start for the Gamecocks uh, in place of injured Jake Bentley. Uh, He threw for three touchdowns and 249 yards as the Gamecocks kicked in a field goal towards the end of the game, a game that which um, all but two of ESPN cameras went out. Uh, Missouri's headsets completely went down, so they had to bring all the coaches to the sideline. It it rained harder than any other game I've ever been in. Uh, or seen, and it was just an absolute mess. And it was kind of entertaining to watch because I felt like in my head I was playing circus music as I watched it. Yeah, that one was ridiculous with all of the delays and everything. I, I was hard. I was getting a headache just trying to keep up with it on my phone. So anyway, um, for my first slant, uh, I want to go out to the farm where on Saturday night, Stanford returned home to lose their second consecutive game, this time to the Utes, 40-21. to There were two stats that really stood out to me from this one. Utah had 222 rushing yards to Stanford's 42, and the Cardinal also turned the ball over four times while Utah didn't cough it up once. Stanford will need to regroup over their bye week and figure out how to get better balance on their offensive attack, while Utah welcomes Arizona to Rice-Eccles Stadium this weekend. You guys both picked Stanford to win the Pac-12 North. So what do you think they need to do in order to turn things around after back-to-back losses? Offensive line and Bryce Love's got to be healthy. Yeah, Bryce Love obviously not being 100% is very evident. Coach, anything else you you think that they they, they need to do? Get Bryce Love healthy because without him, they're – uh, they're not a team that can be one-dimensional. So um, not many teams are, but um, they especially, um, they can't be one-dimensional because they have Jaws out there on the on the edge and Colby Parkinson. But once you shut those guys down, they don't have a whole lot behind Bryce Love. So, you know, again, just shore up, get in the film room, practice. Yeah, the bye week could not have come at a better time for them. Get healthy, yeah, absolutely. So, uh, Josh, you got some questionable coaching from this weekend? 
I do, yeah. I could go on and on about how Iowa did not have any questionable coaching because they were amazing in their win against Minnesota, but I'm going to pose this question, obviously, to our coach. But then, Matt, I know you'll want to chime in, and that has to do with uh, some shenanigans up in Madison. So uh, the game is 41-17 Wisconsin. Mm-hmm. And Nebraska marches incredible 95-yard drive, and they score a touchdown. So that gets to 41-23, which I believe is an 18-point game. Right. And there's just under 10 minutes left, actually closer to nine minutes. There's 9-11 left in the fourth quarter. Rather than go for two to make it a 16-point game, which is a two-possession game. Scott Frost just trots out the kicker, kick a point after, that leaves it a three-score game with just nine minutes left. Got to feel like that's telling Wisconsin, hey, we're done. We're not going to be competitive in this game. What what say you, Coach? Well, um, knowing me, I'm going for the points. I'm I'm going to to limit my possession because with uh, the way Wisconsin runs the ball, I may not get the ball back very much. I may only get one more possession. So, you know, the time is not on my side anyway. So, you know, I don't I don't see any scenario where you wouldn't chase the points there under 10 minutes in the fourth quarter um, and you're down. And, and plus you're 0-4. You're playing the – what were they ranked at the time? Were they 15th in the country, Matt? Yeah, thereabouts. Yeah. So you're in the top – you're playing a team that's uh, ranked nationally in the top 15. I mean, what are you going to lose? I mean, what's the worst that can happen? You go 0 and 5. I mean, you're you're already down. You're already down three scores at when when you when you drove the field. I mean, come on, you you can't be any closer to uh, 0 and 5 than going for two or not going for two. I mean, you know, why don't you make better plays in quarters one through three and and not be in that scenario if you really want to nitpick about it? Go for the points. What do you have to lose? Yeah, that was very strange when I was watching it. I was completely baffled when the kicker trotted out in the field. So, I mean, obviously as a Badger fan, I was very happy to see that. But um, So for my second slant, I wanted to take a quick look at a game from Friday night out in the Beehive State. Uh, Utah State continued their impressive run, dismantling BYU in Provo 45-20, to proving yet again that they are forced to be reckoned with in the Mountain West. For BYU, this was their second consecutive defeat by more than 20 points, and this one was a lot uglier than last week's loss to Washington. The biggest issue for the Cougars on the day was keeping possession of the ball. Tanner Mangum threw for a pick, lost a fumble, accounting for two of BYU's three turnovers on the day. Utah State, meanwhile, kept a balanced attack with quarterback Jordan Love throwing for only 165 yards but getting four touchdowns in the process. Josh, the Aggies avoid San Diego State in the regular season. Do you think there's a chance that they could go undefeated in conference? Ooh, well, the uh, the mystique of Boise State feels like it's wrapping up. That's they, why I posted not question. very good. And that game is between the Aggies and the Broncos is in Boise, which not only is the mystique of the program feeling like it's declining, Smurf turf, uh, not not really too scary this last week for San Diego State. So Boise, Boise's got a lot to figure out. Uh, to me, they're just like, look at that San Diego State game. It just seems like they have no running attack, which is really scary because Coach talked about it. If you're one-dimensional, this sport is so much difficult, so much more difficult. The way the Utah State Aggies made BYU so one-dimensional, that bodes well for that game. So I know Boise State's got a lot of time to figure out that's the season finale for both teams. But if, if I'm in Logan, Utah, I am just – loving how the rest of the season unfolds, including getting a Boise State team that right now just does not scare me very much. Yeah, they are definitely one of the best group of five teams this season. They started the season well in a very close loss at Michigan State. I would, to answer your question, Matt, I would say that if Utah State can get by that November 3rd trip out to the islands, Mm -hmm. I would... Take 
that 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 Utah State goes undefeated in conference. So you think that their biggest trip up would be Hawaii and not Boise? I think based on the distance, I think based on if Cole McDonald's healthy by that game and how Hawaii uh, does not care that they're one-dimensional because they're all about the air raid, uh, that's why I think Hawaii might pose a more of a challenge to this Utah State defense than a team like Boise State would be. Josh, do you have Utah State ranked in your poll this week? They were just on the outside. They uh, they were um, they had some trouble where they've only played one Power Five team and they didn't win that game. Um, th- so they're on the outside looking in, but they're very very close. They they beat UNLV. They beat Wyoming. Push that record two more wins. Uh, they're probably getting in. So we can say uh, they're receiving votes at the moment. Yeah, they're in the top thirty. Okay, for sure. That's fair. That's fair. Yeah. All right, guys, uh, time for the pop quiz. Take out your number two pencils. Get your blue books ready. UCF is on pace to go undefeated and untied for their second consecutive season, a feat last accomplished by Nebraska in 1994 and 1995. Uh, That's not going to happen for the Huskers this year. They could go undefeated. They Uh, won't defeat anybody. I like that. Undefeating. That's what it is. (laughs) Yeah. They go undefeating. Yeah, they got Illinois. Got some games. <laughs> Since 1980, including Nebraska and UCF, 21 teams have had a perfect season. That is in which they went undefeated and untied. Your job is to name them. So 19 schools. Yeah. Uh, hint, in that same time span, SMU, Fresno State, Syracuse, Georgia Tech, Michigan, Texas A&M and Toledo have all gone undefeated, but with ties. So they do not count. But one of those teams does have a perfect season under its belt, but I will not tell you which one. So with that being said, Coach, you're first. All right, well, why not start in 1980 with, uh, you know it, them Georgia Bulldogs and, and the freshman Herschel Walker. Herschel Walker. That is correct. 1980 dogs, and you get a bonus point for naming the year. Josh. All right. Well, I don't know if this is the next team chronological order, but it's damn close, and that is one of my favorite teams that Lavelle Edwards coached BYU team. They won a natty over Michigan in the Holiday Bowl. Uh, Michigan, I do not believe, was right. (laughs) Uh, Fun times back in the bowl era. As for the year, uh, I shot it down 1988, but – in hindsight, I think it might have been a few years earlier into the decade. Uh, yes, it was a few years earlier, 1984. Ooh. All right. Okay. Coach, you're up two to one. All right. Uh, how about them 1999 wire-to-wire uh, Florida State Seminoles? Oh, you know one of Bobby Bowden's finest teams, uh, Peter Warwick, uh, Chris Winkie on that one, I believe. They went 12-0. and All right. Josh, you're next. How about the team that upset the U, the 86 Penn State Nittany Lion team? That is correct. They also went 12-0 in 1986. Coach, you're up 4-3. Ooh, okay. Um, let's see. I'm going to go with – how about them uh, – how about them 2005 – no, 2004 – USC Trojans. Ooh, good pull, Coach. 13-0 and Trojans in 2004. Uh, Matt Liner, Reggie Bush. Hmm. Nice. Uh, so, Matt, you gave a hint, saying, listing a bunch of teams that had a undefeated season but included a tie, and you said one of those teams did also have an undefeated season. I believe that would be those 1997 Michigan Wolverine team. Oh, yeah, you know it. Usually can't spell Lloyd without two L's. In this case, though, there were zero on the season. Uh, I think heavy Charles Woodson might have helped that team. Yeah. Coach, you're up 65, heading into the fourth round. All right. I'm going to go with the 2012. No, I'm not. Um, (laughs) They did lose. I remember that to Johnny Manziel. Um, so that's not going to happen. Um, so I'm going to go with, ooh, I, I just stumped myself here. Um, 
<laughs> I won't go. If you don't know the year. You can still say the name of the team. Yeah, I know. I know. Uh, I'm going to go with Notre Dame. 1988. Okay. Notre Dame is correct. Uh, which year for a bonus point? 1988. You know it. I read it in Lou, Holt, Lou Holtz's book. <laughs> All right, Josh. Uh, so when you pose the question in our pre-show notes, it's the very first team I jotted down because it's the team that made me despise the BCS era, and that is Sean King's 1998 Tulane Green Wave team. How about that coaching staff? Uh, a guy by the name of Rich Rod was their offensive coordinator. That was an amazing team. Amazing team. That was a that was a pretty special team. Uh, I believe uh, what was it? Terry Bowden was the head coach in that one. Uh, right last name, the brother Tommy. Oh, Tommy. Sorry, uh, yeah, wrong, shortly wrong before he went to Clemson in a year or two. Oh, that's right. Okay, uh, coach. Ooh. Um. Well, uh, this team this this season put it's a certain team on the map in the BCS era and they had to do they had to go undefeated in order to get into the BCS just like UCF so i'm going to go with the Boise State Broncos that is correct nice. the year Give me a year the year was i had just graduated from college i remember the statue of liberty play in the fiesta bowl that would be 2006 okay for a second bonus point can you name the other year that Boise State went undefeated 2011. Josh, do you want to steal? I think it was the other time they won the Fiesta Bowl, um, which was ooh, it's either 09 or 10. I don't think that counts for me to give two years. Name one. 09. That is correct. All right, Josh, you are up. Well, I said way back when I did Penn State's because my notes are in chronological order, and I realized I gave away a hint saying the team that upset Miami, and I went with the 86 Nitty Lion teams because I literally set a team that also went undefeated. Miami's done it maybe a couple times, but the team that I'm most familiar with was that Ken Dorsey 2001. That is upset. correct. Correct. Now Miami has also done it two other times. Can you I think they I think they kept, I think they just scored again on Eric Crouch? <laughs> uh, Josh, can you name either the other two years that they did so? Uh, no, I, I would guess sometimes in maybe in the eighties, maybe nineteen ninety. I don't know. Coach, do you know either of the two years? Okay, I'm going to guess. My first guess is nineteen ninety two. Nope. Nineteen eighty nine. Nope. Eighty seven and ninety one. Yeah. I was going to say 87. Damn it. All right. Uh, <laughs> you guys are tied up at 10-10. Coach is up. Okay. Um, this is fun. Um, hmm. Going to need an answer. Going to need an answer. Yes, you will. Um, I got to say LSU. Ooh. Sorry, Coach. That is your first strike. LSU has not gone undefeated since 1980. Josh. Yeah, I think they were they the first one loss team to make the BCS back with uh, Saban. Uh, was that uh, 2003? Yes. Ooh. Um, so mentioning teams that upset Miami, I was so excited to do this. I thought I gave Coach another hint because the other team that famously upset a really good Miami team was the Maurice Claret. Oh, two Buckeyes. I, uh, for some reason, I keep thinking they lost a game. They that tried to lose to Illinois. They, they had tried a to lose really, to too. Yeah, they had a – well, I mean, they were playing vintage trestle ball. But, yeah, the Illinois game, uh, it was in Champaign. Uh, I want to say that Craig Krenzel scored, like, a really, like, late touchdown, like maybe 30 seconds left to steal a win. Um, and I remember because – uh, Iowa also went undefeated in league play that year, and we were just really, really pulling for the Illini so, so it would give Iowa an outright title because um, this was back before a title game. Iowa and Ohio State, they never played each other in 02. Josh, one other undefeated Ohio State team. Another one? Uh, let's see. Um, 
Boy. I need a year. Well, it's not Urban Myers because they lost to Virginia Tech and they came all the way back. So I will say, did they do it in like a random Cooper year, like maybe 1996? I don't know. Some Moyer. Nope. Uh, Coach, do you know the year? <laughs> no. Uh, Josh, it was, Josh, it was the 2012 first year under Urban Meyer where they had, had a bowl ban. They went 12-0. Oh, that was a, that's a sneaky trick one right that there. That is a sneaky trick one. Yeah, because I was thinking about their title year with, yep. when they lost to Vatak. Yep. Uh, very early and then came all the way back. Coach. How about uh, the very first B- – did we say the very first BCS national champion, champion and I've spaced out the Tennessee Vols? We have not. Uh, do you remember that year? 1998. I, I, I just started my freshman year of high school. You know it. They, they were playing. They were playing the Seminoles. And about ten minutes after the game was the first time a Tennessee fan wanted to fire Phil Fulmer. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um. Yeah. So let's see. We got USC. So I got to cross them off my list. Coach got that one. Well done. Um. So next. Oh, you also had Boise State. So I got to cross off two. Uh, that leaves uh, my next guess. The arguably the greatest Rose Bowl and title game of all time. Didn't that 05 Texas team with Vince Young go undefeated? They, in fact, did. Well done, Coach. Speaking of Urban Meyer, how about the uh, 2004 Utes? That is correct. Nice. Utah's also gone undefeated in one other season. Do you know it? Oh. Hmm. Uh Ooh. That's a good question. That's a, that's a good question. I'm going to say uh, 2002. No. I think it was a Kyle Whittingham team. I think they – I think it was their last year in the Mountain West maybe. Um, 07? 08. Oh, I told you it was 08. All right, Josh. Um, I think it's the only one that – Saban's had the uh, the O nine. O nine Alabama is correct. Alabama has also gone undefeated in one other season. Oh, oh! You know it. I'm thinking it's a random like 1992. 1992 is correct. Well <laughs> done. Holy crap! Was that Dennis Franchione? Who was that? Uh, no, that was Gene Stallings. Gene Stallings. Oh, of course, Dennis Franchione never went undefeated. What am I? Come on, what kind of crap is that? <laughs> Ooh, coach. Nice, nice work. <laughs> I'm surprised it took that long for someone to say Alabama. Well, I jotted down ones that I was a hundred percent sure on in roughly chronological order. Well, every year I knew they were close. They lost to somebody. Mm-hmm. They lost to either Manziel, and then I was thinking, oh, I was I was running back through all the Saban's championships. I was like, okay, they lost here, they lost there, they lost there. Okay, they lost to Manziel that year. They lost to South Carolina. I thought '09 they lost to South Carolina, but I guess they had them on the ropes. All right, coach, what's your next guess? Ooh, okay. Hurry me along here. Can't yeah. rush greatness. Um, <laughs> I think that's. I think that should be our show motto. It really should be. Uh, how about when? Uh, how about when? Uh, either. I'm gonna. I'm gonna say some random off the wall one. How about when UConn got into the BCS for randomly for a year? I think they were seven and five that year. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, they they were not undefeated. I do not know what their record was that year. Maybe you can find that out while Josh is guessing. That is your second strike, Coach. Yeah. So, so Coach said the last team that I was pretty sure on, right? Florida State? That's correct. Okay. So now I'm going to enter the guessing mode also. I don't even know what year that was. And uh, one of the guesses I had, I wrote down Chiswick with a question mark. Um, I know Malzahn didn't do it, but I think that late aughts, early 2010s Auburn team. Auburn is correct. Do you know the, uh, do you know the year? They've done it twice. I take that back. They've done it three times. Oh, I, wow. I, know, I definitely know one year now. So, so Chiswick 
left Iowa State in, I think, 07. So he wouldn't have gotten Auburn very good right away. I'm going to need a year. Um, and Alabama was 09. So it's either 10 or 11. And he wasn't there very long. So if he got there, oh, all three. I'm going to say 2010. I'm going to go 2010. 2010 is correct. Coach, what is the one? Terry, Terry Bowden, 1994, and Tommy Tuberville, 2004. They got left out. They finished third in the country. Oh, Coach, you are money in the bank. Nice. Uh, you are also up. Well. By the way, the score is 19 to 16. Josh is in the lead. Corey has two strikes. Josh has none. Ooh, Josh definitely has none. All right. Um, so we said Texas. We said did we did we say Oklahoma? Two thousand. Not said Oklahoma. Are they correct? Yes. What year? Ooh. Um. Two thousand. No, they lost to Florida in the national championship that year. Uh. Two thousand one. Very close. Two thousand. 2000, that's right. That's right, 2000. Because 2001 undefeated was Miami. Josh. 2001 was the year that they played in the uh, bowl game, technically, but it was for the 2000 season. That's Josh. Okay, so, boy, I'm kind of scraping the bottom now of, of teams. I am going – has Dabo done it? Has Clemson done it? Clemson has done it. Oh, but it's oh. Did they win nineteen eighty nine? No, no. Coach, do you know no. the year? Nineteen eighty one. That's correct. Ooh. All right, Josh, you're up twenty eighteen. Coach, you're up with two strikes. Okay. There are uh, three schools left. Three schools left. Three schools. All right. I am going. No, it's, uh, it's coaches. It's coach. Oh, okay. What's your turn, boy? <laughs> it's my turn, man. I wanted to give an answer. I bet you did. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, so we said, um, I'm going to say Duke, 1987. Ooh, sorry. Ooh. The Dukies did not do it. That is your third strike. Josh officially wins. Who's left? Josh, do you know any of them off the top of your head? Do you want me to name them? I had two guesses um, left. I thought Spurrier did it once. Um, I was going to guess maybe at the tail end of his time there, um, Lou Holtz might have done it with Arkansas. No, he did not. Okay. My other guess, uh, my my other two guesses would be um, the Don James – Washington teams in the early 90s. That would be correct. And the other one would have been... Yeah, 91 for for that Washington team. The other one would have been uh, the Buffaloes with uh, Coach McCord, I believe was his name, back in the 90s. Uh, or not McCord, McCartney. Um, they no, were my other guests. Um, they never went on the... Okay, the those two, were my... The two you guys missed... TCU in 2010, uh, they beat Wisconsin in the Rose Bowl. Uh, Josh, I, were, did we attend the game together? Uh, did you get I that Rose Bowl? I was at that Rose Bowl. I think that's the one you missed. No, it's not. That was the first year we lived in Los Angeles, and I know I, I went the first two years. I didn't go the third. Yeah, that was the third of our three. No, that was the first of the three, I thought. Oh, I don't know. I thought that was a third of the three. Oh, well. I, I, I know I was at that game. I went to that one. I went to the Oregon one. I did not go to the other one. Um, okay. Anyhow, uh, and the other team that was not mentioned, 1999 Marshall. Ooh. Were they, uh, were they playing D1? Yes. A? Yes, they were. The 1999 Marshall Thundering Herd. Um, were undefeated. Uh, they were in the MAC. Um, oh, you know what? It's funny. I was kind they of on the, the season winning at Clemson. So it's really funny. I was kind of. Uh, I would never ever would have gotten Marshall. 
Um, but depending on how long rounds we went, I jotted down uh, Northern Illinois with a question mark. And Dino Babers had a really good team with Bowling Green. Mm-hmm. They were like my super emergency guesses for later rounds. Uh, just I was far off on which MAC team I was actually thinking of. All right. Well, 20 to 18. Great job today, guys. That was awesome. Uh, you guys both get A's for the day. Yes. All right. Time to hit the deep roots. Uh, we'll start with what was billed as the game of the weekend. It lived up to the hype, gentlemen. The Red River shootout. Texas won a wild one thanks to typical Big 12 defense and Dicker the kicker. Josh, I'm going to sound like a record player, but has this game changed your mind on Tom Herman? No. Okay, that's what I figured you'd say. His team almost gave it away. They gave up 21 points. He had some terrible coaching decisions, like that third down passing call that gave Oklahoma over five minutes. But if they had just run it, they would have been punting with about four and a half minutes. Once the punt ends, it's closer to four minutes. He gave Oklahoma an extra minute. That was terrible coaching. Um, it Oklahoma has no defense. So, of course, they were able to put up a bunch of points. Look what they did against Kansas State the week before. They didn't even score three touchdowns. To me, this was just an indication that Oklahoma is missing one half of a football equation to be a true national title contender. Josh, and, uh, Big 12's not having a team in the playoff this year. No. Um, they're not, but unless somehow West Virginia keeps it going, but I don't see that happening. Um, I I think an interesting thing that could be posed as a secondary questionable coaching decision, uh, your Oklahoma, your defense has been crap all game. When you tie it at 45 with two and a half minutes left, why not do an onside kick? You give Texas half the field. That way you know, well, if our defense does what it's been doing all game, we're still going to have plenty of time to march right back down and tie it. Coach, do you think a onside kick at a 45 would have been a good idea? No. Um, <laughs> no. As, as good as Texas has been playing on offense, um, I think you still make them earn it and drive the field and try to get them to go 80 yards or 75 Well, because a lot of time Texas got a short field. Uh, and that was going to be my question for you, Coach. I mean, what did and what in particular did UT defense under Todd Orlando do that forced, you know, three turnovers against an Oklahoma team that really hadn't been coughing the ball too much? Well, they just disrupted the rhythm of Kyler Murray. They just kind of got after him and, and was able to – just do what they do what they do. You know, they beat blocks, they played fast, they played physical and, and they just got after it. And, and they, you know, I, I think Kyler Murray's just, honestly, he's never seen that type of pressure. And he probably, honestly, he, he, he spooked him a little bit. Yeah. I, I was, I, I wanted to see Kyler Murray being more designed runs. I mean, we know when he breaks the pocket, he is, He's exceptionally quick in the open field. And honestly, on the last play of the game, you know, they ran the weird hook and lateral and tried to get all the the backward passes. I would have been interested in seeing them try to do something that would have been like a quarterback draw almost because he's the best guy with the ball in his hands and either him or Hollywood Brown. And so I think I I wanted that situation. I think they they were going to try and do a double pass, but the first quarterback dropped the snap. Yeah. What what killed me was um, there was a, there was a play in the third quarter where he was just scrambling and all of a sudden the ball just pops out. I'm like, what? Like all of a sudden, like in a big game, the ball just pops out. Mm-hmm. Ooh, y'all are in trouble. Yeah, that was that was definitely a wild one. I was watching that in an airport bar with an Arkansas fan. We had uh, quite the conversation. Shout out to you, Jesse. Um, anyway, let's move to our next game. What's up, Jesse? Uh, what uh, were you drinking and what was he drinking? Uh, we were both drinking Sam Adams Oktoberfest. Okay. Not a sponsor of the show, but we're open. But should be. What? 
Anyhow, uh, the Gators beat their second consecutive ranked team this weekend, taking down previously unbeaten Bayou Bengals in the swamp. Joe Burrow had far and away his worst game at LSU, accounting for all three Tiger turnovers. But, Coach, uh, going forward, to me it seems like Florida still doesn't really have a sustainable offense. So is it more than smoke and mirrors? Or, you know, what are they, they doing there to, you know, get it done? They're winning ugly. I, I don't. They're finding a way to just grind the tempo of the game way down, and and really just force their opponents into to mistakes. They, they just. I, I don't know what it is that they, they're built for ugly football as of right now. And and Felipe, I'll I'll, I'll admit it. Felipe Franks is getting better. He he's improving, um, very little at a time, but he's improving. But still, he was twelve of twenty seven, so for one hundred sixty one. So it's not like he was lighting the world on fire. Um, but, you know, trick plays, special plays, big momentum deals. Um, and then a, a defense that just played out of their mind uh, against Joe Burrow. And they had a great game plan against the Tigers. And, and, and they, they executed it well. And, and they just, anytime LSU was looking to get that momentum back, they would have a big sack or they would pick the ball off at the, at the very end or, they were just they were just there at opportune moments. It's not like they sustained a bunch of good drives and really just wore down LSU. They just took advantage of when LSU made mistakes. And maybe LSU was not as good as we all thought. Maybe they were kind of hanging on for dear life. And and Florida was Florida still to me is smoke and mirrors. Um, although they are getting better, I, I will say they're getting better. And and you know. Maybe Mullen's starting to – maybe we're starting to kind of see what he did at, at uh, Mississippi State wasn't a fluke. Yeah, Josh, what did you take away from this one? I think it's just vintage Dan Mullen. I've been – you know, I know Coach said, well, maybe he, what he did there wasn't a fluke. I've been high on Mullins for a long time. He was there 09 to 17. Went to a bowl game every year but his first season. He had five seasons of 500 or better in the SEC in that run. And this is Mississippi State. I mean, what do they coach? The smallest town in the SEC? One of the smallest athletic budgets in the SEC? Uh, probably the smallest alumni base outside of Vanderbilt in the SEC? Yeah, they are. They're definitely the smallest town. Starkville is. Starkville is, <laughs> Starkville is the university. Yeah. Um, and, like, one extra stoplight. But um, they have the second. I think they have the second smallest budget outside of Vanderbilt who doesn't have an athletic department. <laughs> um, so uh, there you go. They're the smallest budget that actually of a team that actually has an athletic department. How about that? Yeah. And, um, and, I mean, he had he had two eight-win seasons there, two nine-win seasons, and a ten-win season. Yeah, he was ranked number one in the country at one point. Yeah. So, um, you know, I, I think it's, you know, as fun as it is for me to poke fun at Florida and how bad they started. And Mullen's a good coach. I'll give him credit. He's a great coach, and once he kind of finally gets his people in there, um, they're going to be they're going to be nasty. But uh, sh- you know, a big shout out to Lamichael Pirine. Um, he was he was very very uh, a very integral part of this game. He was uh, 17 carries for 85 yards, scored twice, had a long of 23 yards. Just tough move the chains, like underappreciated, yeah. under highlighted tight runs where it just they he just kept drives alive. They kept the time of possession on their side. Um you know and, couple... and yeah, I mean coach, yeah, you brought up P Ryan as a team, two hundred and fifteen yards on forty three carries, that's five yard average. Yeah. Um going right at the teeth of LSU, which we would expect to have a really good defense. And I, I just think it was Mullins a better coach than Ed Ogeron. And Mullen's going up against a defensive coordinator that he had no problems with at Mississippi State. I believe last year's game was the 41 nothing shellacking by Mississippi State over this LSU team. So uh, I think it's just – I'm excited as an outsider coach, and you're probably dreading this, but I'm really excited of about a good decade of Kirby and Mullen mm-hmm. in Jacksonville mm-hmm. battling. It, it's going to be – yeah, Fun times. It's, gonna, it's gonna be good for the conference. It's not gonna be good for my blood pressure. But, no. Um, but anytime you turn the ball over three times, that doesn't help, um, especially crucial situations. 
Um, but Florida, uh, one thing that they just continue to do is they continue to rack up the penalties, uh, 11 penalties for 116 yards. Uh, if they're going to be anything, they've got to turn that, turn that around. Uh, also, fourth, uh, third down efficiency, they were only in 13 third downs all game. Uh, they converted four of them, which um, is better than the four of 17 LSU went. Also, LSU was, was 50% on fourth down. Um, and Florida did not attempt to fourth down. So um, very good day for Florida, a very efficient day, um, very much a lot of hidden yards, a lot of good field position battle uh, type stuff that doesn't necessarily show up on the stat sheet. So um, Florida Florida's just a team you can't sleep on, and maybe LSU is – maybe, maybe LSU is more of the smoke and mirrors than Florida. There you go. All right. Well, next, let's head over to Blacksburg, where Notre Dame ran away from the Hokies in the second half on the back of Dexter Williams. He finished the game with 17 carries for 178 yards and three scores, including the big 97-yarder on their first drive of the second half to break this game open. Josh, what was your biggest takeaway from this one? Well, my, I had two. Um, I did have three, but you mentioned Williams. It was an amazing run. Uh, so my two were the scoop and score. Huge defensive touchdown. Notre Dame won the turnover margin. The other one is just this. Look at the box score. Just refresh my memory on this game. Just bizarre outcome for Virginia Tech. It, it's it's almost a challenge to have over 400 yards of offense and have 300 passing yards, have 25 first downs, be fairly efficient on third down, and win time of possession, and yet – only produced 23 points. So a, a um, lot of... I, I, can, I can interject into that. That's yeah. the story of my team all year long. <laughs> uh, just a lot, of, yeah, a lot of a lot of points left out on the field by Virginia Tech. Um, do you never want to see your kicker? He made three of them, but he attempted five field goals. That's not very efficient. The turnovers. Uh, I know the... 22 points looks like a super lopsided victory by Notre Dame. This game was closer than really it fully indicates. And if I'm Virginia Tech, I'm saying, hey, you know what? We held our own against a top-10 team outside of Miami in our division. We have a great shot at making the ACC title game. Let's just not let this define our season because we can still have all of our goals in front of us in the ACC. Uh, Coach, Notre Dame doesn't face a currently ranked opponent for the rest of the season. Um, Their remaining schedule is home for Pitt, home for Navy, at Northwestern, home for Florida State, at Syracuse, and at USC. You know, which, which, if any of those, are going to be the most likely to trip up the Golden Domers? Ooh, um, probably... Uh, that's a good question. I mean, I could make a case for any of them um, if they don't have their, their focus, but I guess Florida state's playing better. So maybe Florida state, Florida state. Interesting. Josh, what do you think? Well, I think anytime you go out to the Coliseum in a rivalry game, that's going to be a challenge. I'm also looking at that Northwestern game. Yeah, um, that's what I was thinking. Yeah. They've been advertising that game a lot here in Chicago. Um, I think this is going to be one of the few games that really attracts um, a lot of Northwestern fans to actually attend a sporting event. It's a week before that Florida State homestand. Uh, Northwestern looked pretty good against Michigan State. Uh, they are a scrappy team. They are, you know, they've got a senior quarterback, uh, Fitzgerald. He just kind of pulls random games out of his butt sometimes and. Iowa's on the short end of a lot of them. I would love to see Northwestern spoil Notre Dame season. That would be that might be wishful thinking, but that would, that would I, I be do, amusing nonetheless. Yeah, I do think it's an intriguing date a week before their big Florida State game. A week after losing the inaugural Dan Mullen Bowl, the boys from Stark Vegas took out their anger in the form of running the ball down Auburn's throat. As a team, they had 56 carries for 353 yards and as a result had held the ball for 42 minutes. Coach, where was that Auburn defense and more specifically the defensive line that we've been talking about all season? Well, um, yeah, about that. 
they uh, I think they forgot to show up. I, I'm not sure. Uh, they they just got bullied all night long by what was widely considered not only an inferior uh, offensive line at Mississippi State, but a far superior defensive line, and they were just outplayed. They weren't focused. They were. It almost kind of seemed like it was. I'm I'm gonna put the whole defense in this now, but I almost felt like it was eleven individuals running around in the same jerseys out there, uh, and they didn't. It, it just kind of seems like the the whole uh, atmosphere around surrounding the team is just bad. It's just getting worse, and I think it's. I think you're kind of. I mean, I, I don't. I hate to say because they're ranked eighth. In, they were ranked eighth in the country, and uh, they they played some good football this year. But it's. I mean, it's almost starting to unravel. For, for Gus Malzahn, I mean, you're starting to see they have a putrid offensive line. Jared Stidham is, you know, he's erratic at best. He, he missed a couple wide-open uh, throws. Uh, one is specifically to Darius Slayton that I probably could have thrown, I'll be honest with you. Um, and, uh, again, it all ties in. Auburn's offense just – Awful, three and out, three and out, three and out, and they go, they go at tempo. So um, you have to think at a certain point that this Auburn defense was just gassed because they were on the field so much, and and that that was honestly uh, a, a very much long way of me saying that they were gassed because they were on the field for too too long. Yeah, coach. Here's Auburn's drive chart: punt, punt, field goal, miss field goal, punt, field goal, fumble, field goal, turnover on downs, turnover on downs. Yes, that's that's not good. Uh, I mean, this is like <laughs> the difference in time of possession is comical. oh forty. It's forty two minutes to eighteen. Yeah, it's comical. I mean, how many how many total plays was Mississippi State able to run in those forty one minutes? <laughs> I mean, well, they it, had got to be what it was eighty something, right? It was probably eighty something plays to seventeen passes plays. and fifty seven rushing attempts, seventy four. 74 plays. And 74 plays to uh, 59 for Auburn. Yeah, I mean, that's just, you know, your tempo offense, 59 is unacceptable. 59 is an Army staff. Army Army is jumping for joy if they run 59 plays. Or they're, they're well, I don't want to say jumping for joy, but they're wondering why the heck are we throwing the ball so much if they ran 59 plays. I mean, that, you know, for a team like Auburn, at worst, they should be at seventy-four plays. Um, but yeah, it's it was a confusing game for sure, and I think both these teams are kind of confusing, Josh. And so, like, I don't know, what do you make of these two teams at this point in the season? They're both four and two. They're both one and two in conference. They've got roughly the same schedule going forward. Like, it, does one or either of them stand out to you at all, or are they both going to be sort of the you know middle of the pack eight and four, you know, typical SEC team? Oh, well, I think Auburn's issues in the trenches are becoming apparent. Um, Auburn's offensive line has been terrible this year. Yeah, three sacks in this one. Uh, Stidham, in the stat book, it goes in as five carries for negative 22 yards. That's not helping the cause. And then the flip side, uh, zero tackles for loss. Um, they didn't pass it a whole lot, but zero sacks and zero quarterback hurries. So Auburn's defensive line not living up to preseason expectations, certainly this Saturday. But, uh, you know, I want to do some shameless self-promoting of myself. Uh, Astute listeners will remember last week when we previewed this game, I said that uh, where in the world was Kalen Hill in the Mississippi State game plan? He had an amazing day at Kansas State. And then against Louisiana Lafayette, only six carries. Okay, fine. It was a blowout. But – at that Kentucky game, just four carries. And then in the Florida loss, nine carries. Welcome back, Mr. Hill. 23 attempts, 126 yards. Uh, I know Fitzgerald had an amazing day, and he's the focus, obviously, of this Bulldog offense. But he can't do it alone, and you cannot have your quarterback passing it and toting the ball same amount of times as a running back. Those 23 carries just means that that's 23 hits Fitzgerald didn't have to take. Those were big yards. That was an important aspect 
of this offense to be successful. And Mississippi State has got to do that going forward. I think if Hill continues to get around 15 to 20 carries per game, I like Mississippi State's chances against several teams, Louisiana Tech, uh, Mississippi State, or excuse me, Mississippi in the Egg Bowl. Those look like games that they can be successful in. They have another random conference game. I don't want to talk too much about it right now that they should be able to do well and they host AM. They could they could do some damage. And I think this is a portable running game, portable game plan to take to LSU next. They've got a week to prepare for that game with their bye coming up. Outside of the Alabama game, I think the Bulldogs have to feel good if they continue to get other playmakers involved like my man Kasim Hill. I think you're looking for Kalen Hill and not Kasim Hill. Kalen Hill, what? And, and, and Taysom Hill is with the Saints. Mm. Formerly of? Uh, the Cougs, BYU. That's correct. Kalen Kasem, it's, it's a very close name. Kalen Kasem, Taysom, it's all the same, right? Uh, yeah, I mean, <laughs> look, yeah. I, it, this is going to happen sometimes. I thought Fran Tarkenton went to Georgia in a show. Sometimes I jot oh, down my notes. As I get huh? <laughs> Fran Tarkenton did go to Georgia. Uh, I think he went to Purdue. <laughs> <laughs> Look, it's going to happen. I'm going to have notes jotted down, and as I get into, well, Josh, I mean, well, I will. You keep burying the lead, so mm, eh, I don't know about that. Anywhere, uh, <laughs> let's stick in the SEC, uh, where Kentucky yeah. dropped their first game of the season at Kyle Field in overtime. Coach, we all know that Benny Snell is the engine that makes this wildcat team go so why did he only get 13 carries and zero carries in overtime that's a great question that could have been a questionable coaching decision on let's let's make that questionable coaching part three for the day (laughs) why the frick did benny snell only touch the ball 17 total times and get zero touches in overtime well that's probably the reason why we're talking about them getting their first loss of the season and they they only scored 14 points i mean benny snell has proven time in and time out that he's the guy why not give him the ball? Give him the ball. Find ways to get him the ball. Run screens. Run quick screens. There's inside handoffs and there's outside handoffs, if I'm being very general. Uh, there's a lot of things they do with Benny Snell that he could touch the ball more than 17 total times in the second half. I mean, he's the guy that got you there. What other what other huge playmakers do you have? None. You don't have any elite playmakers at the caliber of Benny Snell. Benny Snell might be one of the best all-time SEC running backs. In in the words of Keyshawn Johnson, and I'm sorry, but give him the damn ball. That was a, that was a title of a book, so I can quote that, right? Um, give him the ball. Seriously, give him the ball. Josh. Him the rock. Uh, well, how, how do you feel about Texas A&M after this one? Well, they have an amazing – rush defense we knew that going into the game um you know they're they're gonna be a grinded out team i think we saw it with how they gave clemson a scare they sort of held their own for times against alabama they're obviously past the toughest parts of their schedule um i guess for them it's just keep doing their defense they they look uh, a little bit like one of those trestle ball teams to steal something from earlier in the show when we're talking about undefeated teams. But, yeah, I mean, they're they're playing with house money, too. you got to remember that. It's Jimbo Fisher's first season. Uh, they're paying him a ton of money to get this program over the hump. That is during the course of his contract, not year one. Um, but to the Benny Snell question, I mean, you look at their drive charts. They just had a lot of three and outs. It would have been hard for them to um, – you know, to get going and and just kind of a microcosm of the game. Um, Here's a random drive I found of theirs. That was a three and out. Um, They have a false start penalty on first down. So now they're backed up. They do give Benny Snell a touch. That rush defense bottles him up. He gets one yard. Well, you know, second and 14 and then third and 16, you got to pass. So they took a sack. The, than the incomplete pass. So I think it was kind of just that day. Uh, the other thing that I am just kind of curious about also is they still had 
28 carries against South Carolina defense. That's also, you know, kind of a hard hitting team. I'm just wondering if he might have the coaching staff said, you know what, this kid's taking a pounding. We got to try and, and do something else and just rely on our defense. And and maybe maybe they're just kind of looking out for his interest because it was surprising to see him only have 17 touches. Um, but at the same time, like he's coming off his season high in carries. Let's let's maybe give this coaching staff just a smidge of benefit of the doubt that they were seeing something in, in Benny Snell that they're like, ooh, maybe he's not 100% right now. Let's let's just try and do some smoke and mirrors and, and have Wilson win this game, have our defense come up with a play, which they did to get to overtime. Um, but from there, it just, it just wasn't Kentucky's day, and Kyle Field's a tough place to win. Yeah, no it really shame, is. No shame in that loss. All right, finally, Iowa State went into Stillwater and was able to hold on for the victory, 48-42. to Brock Purdy made his debut as Cyclone quarterback. Josh, he looked pretty darn good. Yeah, I mean, this is what Iowa State does. They carry about 12 different quarterbacks on their roster. They let one player start one game. Uh, that way you don't get any tape on them. It's a really ingenious thing, and I think we need to give Matt Campbell more credit for doing that. Um no, in all seriousness, uh, he gave an added dimension with his feet. He had 84 rushing yards, well over, uh, you know, 300 passing yards. He had an amazing day. Um, but I know 42 points sounds like a lot, but Iowa State's known for their defense. And I think the defense in this game, despite giving up a lot of points, still – did some good things that we should give some credit to. I mean, they had two takeaways. They made Oklahoma State stay miserable rushing the ball. They had 126 yards, but needed 43 carries to get there. So this was, you know, this was the coming out party for Purdy, but this was also a complete game. I, I think that the Cyclones, I thought they were one of the most dangerous one and three teams in the country. They proved it. Matt, you've asked about several teams going forward. Well, how about the Cyclone schedule going forward? They host West Virginia. West Virginia hasn't looked like world beaters as much as you would expect from a top 10 team the last few weeks. Then they host Texas Tech, a very erratic team. They head to Kansas. Then they host Baylor. You know, they, they string some wins together. Suddenly this Iowa State team's looking a lot more dangerous going forward. Yeah, Coach, uh... I'm a little bit worried about the mullet. They are looking, you know, kind of lost this year uh, without Mason Rudolph and James Washington. Yeah, it, you know, the Twitter war that him and his athletic director got into um, might have some merit on the side of the athletic director and, and talking about recruiting and they're struggling. And, well, in college football, if you're struggling, you are allowed to recruit guys that will help you not struggle. So uh, maybe he ought to lay off Twitter and stop criticizing his boss and go out and recruit some people that can replace Mason Rudolph and that whole cast of characters there because you're becoming a cartoon character with your mullet and your outlandish comments on Twitter towards your athletic director and you're, and you're losing games in embarrassing fashion um, and to teams that – he once dominated. So um, Oklahoma State, I'm going to give you the ceremonial, come on, man. Yeah, it's, you know, uh, it's thin times out there for the Pokes. But, you know, I've always believed in the mullet. I always will believe in the mullet. So he, he, He's capable. He's just not – he's focused on the wrong things. He's not – he's got to go out there and recruit. He's got to get the – he's got to go out and get the, get the people. All right. Well, that's going to do it for us today, guys. Josh, any final words? Yeah, we, uh, well, we did it. We buried the lead on the lovable Arkansas Razorbacks. Amazing improvement. Rather than allowing their opponent to score on the opening kickoff, they held Alabama all the way until the first play from scrimmage where Alabama threw a touchdown pass. Arkansas did a ton right. They held Alabama to just three third-down conversions. That's amazing. Uh, granted, it was three out of six. But outside of that, really good. Uh, Arkansas held the turnover battle pretty well. They only threw one pick six, 
and only had three on the day to Alabama's none. But outside of those you know, minor issues to clean up going forward, um, oh, and they gave up 639 yards. But outside of those three th- – well, 246 rushing yards. Outside of those things and – oh, 14 out of 18 for 393 passing yards. Okay, outside of a complete defensive meltdown, Arkansas is turning the corner, you guys, and I'm really excited about this team because going forward, they have Ole Miss, and that could be the first game that ends in a score of – 85 to 80. Ooh. Yes. Oh, they, and, and they really did a great job of slowing down to a tag of Aloha. He only threw for thir- 334 yards and, mm. uh, and they limited his pass attempts. They, they forced him, uh, they forced Alabama to be one dimensional and they had Tua only attempt to pass 13 times. I, I think coach, that's the ingenious aspect of this cover zero defense and that Arkansas was covering no one. You know, the most of it, I don't think the first touchdown actually counted. The ESPN cameras weren't actually tuned to the field yet when it happened. <laughs> so I don't know if that actually really counts. Direct, the director yelled, roll tape. And, well, I think he accidentally said roll tide, and they scored. It's like yeah. an actual reflex. <laughs> yeah, that was an oddity, that ESPN policy is, well, if there's lightning near the stadium, we don't let our camera operators go. And then Arkansas policy was, Hey, let's just have our fans in there and the, and the athletes playing a game. Oh, wait. Hold on, guys. Hold on. Hold on. Hold on. Um, um, yeah, Jerry Judy just scored again. Oh, okay. Okay. Just want to make sure. Yeah. Judge well, Judy. He's going to be the first person to somehow end with more touchdowns than receptions. What did he have? Two receptions for like two touchdowns this weekend or something? He's absurd. All right, guys. <laughs> Tua, Tua has only thrown uh, seven fewer touchdowns than incomplete passes. Let that sink in. That's terrifying. Yes. Okay, well, on that sad note, we're going to have to end today's show. So um, on behalf of the coach, Coy Burton, here in Nashville, Tennessee, and our intrepid blogger from Big Ten and Counting, Josh Cook, up there in Chicago, this is the professor in Music City saying so long and see you next time on the Illegal Motion College Football Podcast. Woo pig suey? Thanks for listening to the Illegal Motion College Football Podcast. To get in touch with the show, email us at illegalmotionpodcast at gmail.com or follow us on Twitter at illegal underscore motion. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.